Hi, my name is Eldar Basic, and you're listening to Industry, the comprehensive audio podcast to the video game industry. This is episode one, Nintendo. So, thank you so much for listening, and welcome to the club. wanted to tell Nintendo's story. Ever since I was young, I had such a fascination with Shigeru Miyamoto's legendary characters, and that was before I even knew who the man was. Today, we will explore Nintendo's entire tenured history. Did you know that The Legend of Zelda was inspired by Mr. Miyamoto's Adventures in the Woods? Or the fact that a common dock worker was the inspiration for the titular Mario? With that being said, we're going to go ahead and dive into the minds that created Nintendo, the company's background, The Legend of Zelda, Metroid, Smash Bros, and much more. So, let's go ahead and dive right in. So, some of you guys know that Nintendo has been around for a while, but did you know that Nintendo has been around for over 100 years? Nintendo was founded as a playing card company by Fusahiro Yamauchi on September 23, 1889. Based in Kyoto, the business produced and marketed Hanafuda playing cards. The handmade cards soon became popular, and Yamauchi hired assistants to mass-produce cards to satisfy demand. In 1949, the company adopted the name Nintendo Karuta Company, doing business as the Nintendo Playing Card Company outside Japan. Nintendo continues to actually manufacture playing cards in Japan, and even organizes its own contract bridge tournament called the Nintendo Cup. By 1963, the company had tried several small niche businesses such as cab services and love hotels. Abandoning previous ventures in favor of toys in the 1960s, Nintendo developed into a video game company in the 1970s. In 1966, Nintendo moved into the Japanese toy industry with the Ultra Hand, an extendable arm developed by its maintenance engineer Gunpei Yokoi in his free time. Yokoi was moved from maintenance to the new Nintendo games department as a product developer. Nintendo continued to produce popular toys, including the Ultra Machine, Love Tester, and Kusenju's series of light gun games. Despite some successful products, Nintendo struggled to meet the fast development and manufacturing turnaround required in the toy market, and unfortunately fell behind the well-established companies such as Bandai and Tomy. In 1973, Nintendo's focus shifted to family entertainment venues with the laser clay shooting system using the same light gun technology used in Nintendo's Kusenju series of toys. Following some success, Nintendo developed several more light gun machines, such as the light gun shooter game Wild Gunman, for the emerging arcade scene. While the laser clay shooting system ranges had to be shut down following excessive costs, Nintendo had found a new market. Nintendo's first venture into the video game industry was securing rights to distribute the Magnavox Odyssey game console in Japan in 1974. Nintendo began to produce its own hardware in 1977 with the Color TV Home video game consoles. Four versions of these consoles were produced, 
each including variations of a single game. A student product developer named Shigeru Miyamoto was hired by Nintendo at this time. He worked for Yokoi, and one of his first tasks was to design the casing for several of the color TV game consoles. In 1980, Nintendo launched the Game & Watch, a handheld video game developed by Yokoi. These systems did not contain interchangeable cartridges, and so the hardware was tied to the game. The first Game Watch Game Ball was distributed worldwide. The modern cross D-pad design was actually developed in 1982 by Yokoi for a Donkey Kong version. In 1983, Nintendo launched the Famicom in Japan, alongside ports of its most popular arcade games. In 1985, a reworked version of the system known outside Japan as the Nintendo Entertainment System, or NES, as it's properly pronounced, launched in North America. The practice of bundling the system along with select games helped to make Super Mario Bros., which was packed in with the NES, one of the best-selling video games in history. In 1989, Nintendo announced plans to release the successor to the Famicom, the Super Famicom. Based on a 16-bit processor, Nintendo boasted significantly superior hardware specifications with graphics, sound, and game speed over the original 8-bit Famicom. The Super Famicom was finally released relatively late to the market in Japan on November 21, 1990. It was also released as a Super Nintendo Entertainment System, officially abbreviated the Super NES or SNES, and commonly shortened to just the Super Nintendo. In North America on August 23, 1991, and in Europe on 1992, the NES and the NES were available for purchase in game stores. Unfortunately, its main rival was the 16-bit Mega Drive, known in North America as the Sega Genesis, which had been advertised aggressively against the nascent 8-bit NES. A console war between Sega and Nintendo ensued during the early 1990s. The battle between Sega and Nintendo is well documented, and ended after Sega's departure from the console race. Sega's games can now be found on Nintendo hardware. I also recommend reading Console Wars by Blake Harris. I've always found it to be a very comprehensive guide to the console wars in the 90s. In 1995, Nintendo announced that it had sold 1 billion game cartridges worldwide, 10% of those being from the Mario franchise. Nintendo deemed 1994 the year of the cartridge. To further their support for cartridges, Nintendo announced that Project Reality, which had now been renamed the Ultra 64, would not use a CD format as expected, but would rather use cartridges as its primary media format. Nintendo IRD General Manager Genyo Takeda was impressed by video game development company Rare's progress with real-time 3D graphics technology using state-of-the-art silicon graphics workstations. As a result, Nintendo bought a 25% stake in the company, eventually expanding to 49%. They also offered their catalog of characters to create a CGI game around, making Rare Nintendo's first Western-based second-party developer. Their first game as partners with Nintendo was Donkey Kong Country, the game was a critical success and sold over 8 million copies worldwide, making it the second best-selling game in the SNES library. In September 1994, Nintendo, along with six other video game giants including Sega, Electronic Arts, Atari, Acclaim, Philips, and 3DO, approached the United States Senate and demanded a rating system for video games to be enforced. This prompted the decision to create the Entertainment Software Rating Board, also known as the ESRB, which is still in practice to this day. In 1998, the successors to the Game Boy, the Game Boy Color, was finally released. 
The system had improved technical specifications, which allowed it to run games made specifically for the system, as well as games released for the Game Boy, albeit with added color. The Game Boy Camera and Printer were also released as accessories to the Game Boy Color. In October 1998, Retro Studios was founded as an alliance between Nintendo and former Iguana Entertainment founder Jeff Spangenberg. Nintendo saw an opportunity for the new studio to create games for the upcoming GameCube, targeting an older demographic, in the same vein as Iguana Entertainment's successful Turok series for Nintendo 64. In 2001, Nintendo introduced the redesigned Game Boy Advance, which had some of my favorite games featured on the console, like Metroid Fusion and The Legend of Zelda The Minish Cap. The same year, Nintendo also released the GameCube to lukewarm sales, and it ultimately failed to regain the market share lost by the Nintendo 64, when Yamauchi, company president since 1949, retired on May 24, 2002, Satoru Iwata became the first Nintendo president who was unrelated to the Yamauchi family through blood or marriage since its founding in 1889. In 2003, Nintendo released the Game Boy Advance SP, a redesign of the Game Boy Advance that featured a clamshell design that would later be used in Nintendo's DS and 3DS handheld video game systems. So, getting to my next point. In 2004, Nintendo released the Nintendo DS, its fourth major handheld system. The DS is a dual-screened handheld featuring touchscreen capabilities, which respond to either a stylus or the touch of a finger. But as we all know, it was better with the stylus. Former Nintendo president and now chairman Hiroshi Yamauchi was translated by Game Sciences explaining, and I quote, If we can increase the scope of the industry, we can re-energize the global market and lift Japan out of depression. That is Nintendo's mission. Unquote. So, regarding lukewarm GameCube sales, which had yielded the company's first reported operating loss in over 100 years, Yamauchi continued, and I quote again, The Nintendo DS represents a critical moment for Nintendo's success over the next two years. If it succeeds, we ride to the heavens. If it fails, we sink into hell. Thanks to games such as Nintendogs and Mario Kart DS, the DS became a success. In 2005, Nintendo released the Game Boy Micro in North America, a redesign of the Game Boy Advance. The last system in the Game Boy line, it was also the smallest Game Boy, and the least successful. It was really, really, really tiny. In the latter half of 2006, Nintendo released the Wii as the backward compatible successor to the GameCube. Based upon several Wii remote motion controls and a balance board, the Wii inspired several new game franchises, some targeted at entirely new market segments of casual and fitness gaming. Selling more than 100 million consoles worldwide, the Wii was the best-selling console of the 7th generation, regaining market share loss during the tenures of the Nintendo 64 and the Nintendo GameCube. The Wii was coupled with Wii Sports, which hit a larger and broader adult audience and helped bring games into the modern family home. During the season of 2008, Nintendo followed up the success of the DS with the release of Nintendo DSi in Japan. The system featured a much more powerful CPU and more RAM, two cameras, one that faced the player and one that faced the opposite the player, and had an online distribution store called DSiWare. The DSi was later released worldwide during 2009. In the latter half of 2009, Nintendo released the Nintendo DSi XL, a larger version of the DSi. This updated system was later released worldwide in 2010, and if you think that's a mouthful, just wait until I start talking about the 3DS and the 2DS.
Alright, so just so we're all caught up, in 2011, Nintendo released the Nintendo 3DS, which was based upon a glasses-free, stereoscopic 3D display. Again, jumping forward a little bit, during the fourth quarter of 2012, Nintendo released the Wii U, and it sold a little slower than expected, largely due to Nintendo's marketing confusion, with consumers thinking it was an accessory add-on to the Wii, rather than being a new console entirely. Sadly, the Wii U only sold 13 million units, which the Nintendo Switch already passed in 2018, fun fact. By September 2013, however, sales had rebounded. Intending to broaden the 3DS market, Nintendo released the 2013's cost-reduced Nintendo 2DS. The 2DS is compatible with, but lacks the 3DS's more expensive, but cosmetic audio stereoscopic 3D feature. Nintendo also released, later, the Wii Mini, a cheaper and non-networked redesign of the Wii U. Some sad news incoming, though. On July 11, 2015, Iwata died from a bile duct tumor at the age of 55. Following his death, representative directors Genyo Takeda and Shigeru Miyamoto jointly led the company on an interim basis until the appointment of Tatsumi Kimishima's as Iwata's successor on September 16, 2015. In addition to Kimishima's appointment, the company's management organization was also restructured. Miyamoto was named Creative Fellow, and Takeda was named Technology Fellow. In 2015, Nintendo decided to announce a new dedicated games platform with a brand new concept with the codename NX that we would later come to know as the Nintendo Switch that would be further revealed in 2016. Reggie Filame, president of Nintendo America, referred to the NX as our next home console in a June 2015 interview with the Wall Street Journal. that differentiates Nintendo is, yeah, we've got the big games, beautiful yeah. graphics, but what we encourage is people playing together, especially ah. playing together in the same room. You know, we've got a game called One Two Switch. It literally is a party in the box. 28 different games. 28 different games. You use the controllers, and what's different is you're playing looking at the person you're playing with, right? right? You're not looking at the screen, and that type of interaction really is a hallmark to what it is that we've been doing as a company for over 125 years. Yeah, I was reading that 65% of households have a gaming device in their house. Who is your target market with this? So our target market for this really is consumers age 5 to 95. And when I say that, it's a, big it's, range. It's a huge range. But what, what we're blessed with is we have grandparents playing with parents, playing with kids with our types of content. Sure, we've got Zelda, you know, this fantastic immersive experience. But we've got Mario Kart that parents mm -hmm. love to play with kids. Kids love to play with each other. And so, you know, for us, we pride ourselves on having a very wide swatch of the marketplace, and that works oh, well yeah, for we us. Play, we play this game. What's that? The Mario game. Yeah. yeah. You have a, they're this about, is a they're big about, day for Mario, isn't it? Today is Mario Day. Yeah, because... March March 10th, right? M-A-R-1-0. When you look at it, it looks like Mario. In a later article from October 2015, the Wall Street Journal relayed speculation from unnamed inside sources that the NX was intended to feature industry-leading hardware specifications and be usable as both a home and portable console. It was also reported that Nintendo had begun distributing software development kits, otherwise known as SDKs, for its third-party game developers, with the unnamed source further speculating that these moves suggested that the company was on track to introduce the NX as early as 2016. At an investor's meeting on April 27, 2016, Nintendo announced that the NX would be released worldwide in March of 2017. In an interview with Asashi Shimbun on May 2016, Kamishima stated that the NX was a new concept that would not succeed the 3DS or Wii U. 
At a shareholders meeting following E3 of 2016, Shigeru Miyamoto stated that the company chose not to present the NX during the conference due to concerns that competitors could copy from it if they revealed it too soon. That same day, Kamishima also revealed during a Q&A session with investors that they were also researching virtual reality. In July 2016, the company announced it was bringing back the NES. It's in the form of the NES Classic Edition. The plug-and-play console will support HDMI, two-player modes, and have a controller very similar to the original NES controller. The controller would be able to connect to a Wii remote for use with the Wii and Wii U Virtual Console games. The NES Classic came with 30 games pre-installed. This included Final Fantasy, Kid Icarus, The Legend of Zelda, Zelda II The Adventure of Link, and Dr. Mario, just to name a few. It was released in November of 2016. Additional controllers were also available later. In 2016, Nintendo inadvertently hit the mobile market. The July release of Pokemon Go by Niantic. Later that month, Nintendo released a statement clarifying its relationship with Niantic. Nintendo announced that it owned 32% of Pokemon intellectual property owner, the Pokemon Company, and though it would receive some licensing and other revenues from the game, it expected the impact of Nintendo's total income to be limited. As a result of the statement, Nintendo's share price fell substantially, losing 17% in just one day of trading. After a reduction in share price from the Pokemon Go peak, the company was still valued at over 100 times its net income though, a price-earnings ratio greatly exceeding the average on the Nikkei 225. Analysts speaking to Bloomberg LP and the Financial Times both commented on the potential future value of Nintendo's IP if it transferred to the mobile game phone business, which it did, and still is. After the announcement of the mobile game Super Mario Run in September of 2016, Nintendo's stock soared to just under its recent high point after the release and success of Pokemon Go earlier in the year. Something noted by journalists though, as even more significant than Pokemon Go, Super Mario Run was developed in-house by Nintendo, which wasn't the case with Pokemon Go. In a December 2016 interview prior to the release of Super Mario Run, Miyamoto explained that the company believed that with some of their game franchises, the longer you continue to make a series, the more complex the gameplay becomes, and the harder it becomes for new players to be able to get into the series. The company sees mobile games with simplified controls like Super Mario Run not only allowing them to make a game with the broadest audience of people, but to also reintroduce these properties to newer audiences and draw them to the consoles like the Nintendo Switch and probably even the 3DS. In December 2016, Nintendo released Super Mario Run for iOS devices, with the game surpassing over 50 million downloads within a week of its release. Kamishima stated that Nintendo would release a couple of mobile games each year from then on, which, for me, isn't really much of a surprise, all things considering. On October 20, 2016, Nintendo released a preview trailer for the Nintendo NX, revealing the official name to be the Nintendo Switch. According to Reggie Filame, the console gave game developers new abilities to bring their creative concepts to life by opening up the concept of gaming without limit. In April 2018, Nintendo announced that Kamishima would be stepping down as company president that June, with Shinturo Kawa, former managing executive officer and outside director of the Pokemon Company, succeeding him. That's a really cool job. There are now over 1,400 games on the Nintendo Switch, from indie darlings to the biggest AAA productions. Nintendo also found great success with popular first-party releases like The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey. Citing Chris Kroller and Cecilia D'Anastasio's article on Kotaku, and I quote, This year's most anticipated Nintendo games, Super Mario Party, Pokemon Let's Go, Eevee and Pikachu, the Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, all came out in the last three months of 2018. Up to that point, big Nintendo titles had been middling. After an explosive 2017 in which Nintendo fired off Zelda, Mario Kart, Splatoon 2, and Super Mario Odyssey in rapid succession, 
the bulk of 2018 was less AAA and more single A, if not B games. Big budget games from Diablo 3 to Dragon Ball Fighters Z to Fortnite to Warframe to Dark Souls all landed on the Switch, most of the time with technically solid ports. With that being said, it's really exciting personally to see the Nintendo Switch getting big releases like these. Seeing Doom running on my Switch and being able to hop between bonfires and Dark Souls is super exciting. And I'm really excited and optimistic about Nintendo's future in the console space. So just a quick little break, guys. From the bottom of my heart, I wanted to thank you guys for listening to Industry. The show is broken down into three parts. The first is the general overview of the company, where I read the script that's either written by me or Derek Rogers. The second part is a segment I lovingly call Power Facts. And the third will be a conclusion segment outlining what I love about the company personally, some possible discussion with friends or industry insiders, and what games I or we love from the company the episode is about. So without further ado, let's get to the first segment of Power Facts which is basically just me giving you a little bit of insider trivia about whatever topic the show is about. I hope you enjoy. So, first power fact. Did you guys know that Luigi is the love child of a Mario and a Koopa? So it turns out that they used Mario's general body shape and the color palette from the yellow and green Koopas to create Luigi. Second fact, Gunpei Yokoi was actually working maintenance on the assembly line in a Nintendo factory when company president Hiroshi Yamauchi came around. Yamauchi noticed a toy that Yokoi has built in his spare time. That toy actually ended up becoming the Ultra Hand, a bestseller for the company. That's when Yokoi moved from the assembly line to the design suite. A really nice job promotion, in my opinion. Yokoi then turned a boring old calculator into the Game & Watch, another huge bestseller for Nintendo, and then created the Game Boy, the crown jewel of handheld gaming devices. Power fact. When the DS debuted, it blew all other handhelds out of the water, and continues to do so. It sold 125 million units and has very few signs of slowing down, with several new versions debuting every few years in the company's history. Power fact. Nintendo didn't actually make the Power Glove. Blame for the barely intuitive controller actually goes to Mattel, which obtained a license to create, manufacture, and market the device beginning in 1990. Because Nintendo insisted that the glove worked with its entire library of games, Mattel found itself trying to engineer a backwards-compatible accessory with very little success. They predicted they'd move a million gloves that year, but actually, only 100,000 were sold. Power Fact Only one Legend of Zelda game is a chronological sequel to the original. According to Nintendo's official timeline, all other subsequent games in the franchise occur hundreds or thousands of years in the past, some even in a parallel universe. Power Fact the Japanese version of the NES had a microphone embedded in the controller, and the correlating Legend of Zelda game allowed players to kill certain enemies by shouting into the gamepad. Zelda's instruction manual, which was sold internationally, even stated that the POL's voice enemy hated loud noises. It was all well and good advice for the Japanese players, but for everyone else who bought the manual, a little bit confusing. So as it turns out, Nintendo forgot to remove a line for the translated version, which resulted in several players talking to their devices a move later parodied via chair-by-game-savvy actor and director Clint Eastwood at the 2012 Republican National Convention in Tampa, Florida.
I grew up playing Nintendo games. One of the first games I ever played was Super Mario World at a cousin's house, and I fondly remember staying home from school trying to beat that damn water temple in Ocarina of Time. Nintendo's games have paved the way for me to not only try to get into the game industry, but help light a fire in me for years to come with a passion in video games. I remember the first time I booted up Metroid Prime on the GameCube, and I saw Samus's arm cannon. So just this past year, I ended up beating Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey, and I've watched Nintendo Switch become not only a haven for game development and indie development, but I see old relics of Nintendo make its way into the system's functionality, UI, and design. I think it's important that we gamers and consumers just let Nintendo be Nintendo. No, the Switch is probably never going to have 4K graphics, or insanely realistic first-person shooters, but in the heart of Nintendo lies a company that makes insanely fun games, and garners some of the most impressive catalog of pure fun and memorable characters and game design, gameplay, everything, in the world. Personally, I can't wait to see what they put out next. Thank you guys so much for listening to Industry, the comprehensive guide to video game history. This is actually my second video game podcast, which is a fun fact. The first was Console Club, which was a video game debate podcast hosted by me and Derek Rogers, my longtime best friend and video game encyclopedia. Episode 1, Nintendo, was researched and produced by me, but I'm actually hoping to bring on Derek Rogers in some aspect, because I think he could really help with the research and script writing side of things, so stay tuned for news on that. At the moment, we are on iTunes, but since this is a new show, I will be adding the episodes to other places where you can listen as well. The podcast is currently on a month-to-month production basis, but if I feel the need to release something else, or an interview with the developer, or even just chit-chat, then that could pop up as well. I am also working on getting the Patreon set up, and would like to feature the videos on YouTube in the future too. So for now, I wanted to thank you for giving the show a chance. I hope you learned something. We'll see you next month. And above all, don't forget to subscribe, give me those five stars, and welcome to the club.